0: can seem like quite a full day. Sometimes we arrive at the evening after a day of meditation practice and it's kind of like, Phew. you know, you feel a little tired. Perhaps we've been stretched or challenged in different ways. Or maybe it's been quite light or even delightful. It's different ways we can experience it. And just however it's been, it's important to know that, yep, yeah, that's how it can be. It doesn't have to be and isn't the same for each of us. And yet here we are sharing something in terms of having shared this time together and continuing to do so. Sharing perhaps an interest in our lives and in understanding and deepening that's brought us here. Or an interest in finding what supports us, what nourishes us, what enables us to more fully take care of our our bodies, our hearts, our minds, our lives, our families, our world. All this we're interested in, it seems to me. And so, one of the Ways we can employ the space that we have created within us and around us is to contemplate, to reflect upon our lives and upon our experience, to see what's true. And one of the ways in which we're invited to reflect on and to contemplate our life is in the, in the context of what we call wisdom. Wisdom is an interesting word, it can evoke something sort of lofty and perhaps unattainable or associated with uh, something we might not relate to, or maybe it's something we feel quite comfortable with. In the Dharma teachings there's lots of different ways we can approach it, and uh, I won't endeavour to address them all here but to reflect upon our life, to reflect upon experience. What is it that's true? Wisdom is essentially that capacity that we have to know and to see what is true in such a way that when we act upon it, our life comes into harmony. The experience of conflict, of suffering, of struggle is understood in Buddha's teaching to arise out of not seeing clearly, out of not understanding truly the way things are. And we need to slow down and make some space in order to see what's going on. Some of what we see is the busyness of our minds, the reactivity we encounter, how that's difficult and painful, and how, of course, we naturally long and yearn for that to to come to an end to find calm, to find a sense of warmth and openness in our hearts. And one of the, the ways and the areas in which we're invited to contemplate in this journey is our, the sense that we have of being separate, of being apart from or somehow disconnected from, from life, from others, and in fact at times from parts of ourselves this perception and this experience is something we need to look at, we need to understand. It arises from ways we've interpreted things that have taken place in our lives. And although there's a certain usefulness at times, and actuality at times to that way of perceiving and understanding it, ultimately the truth that we can come to understand through our lives and through practice, is one that reveals a non-separateness. One that reveals that our relatedness, our connectedness, our existence together is much more fundamental than the way in which we conceive of ourselves as a part. And for me this is something that feels quite natural in a way insofar as my original encounter and exploration with what I now call spirituality was one that was very much involved with the natural world with a sense of feeling and exploring the feeling of being connected to and being part of the the world of trees and creatures and rivers and mountains and that sense of wilderness and nature that perhaps others here amongst us, that you also have some sense of this. For me, it's always been something very important, very powerful. And it's, to my mind, no accident that much of the teachings and the practices that the Buddha offered took place in natural environments, in the wilderness, outdoors. He mostly didn't say, go and sit meditating in a little room. He said, go sit by a tree or on a stone or perhaps in a cave or on a mountain. Because there's something about the way we can be touched by the natural world that's really important for this practice and for our lives, I believe. To be concerned about life, to care for, to be sensitive to and to be aware of our impact on the world, and the way in which we are impacted by the world. We see that we can't live in a bubble. We can't control or fix things in a particular way to suit us because there's so many other conditions, circumstances and people involved in the process that we just can't organize it. You know, we can't even get our minds to do what we tell them to it's not that likely we're going to manage to organize the world to be the way we want it to be, is it? And that can lead to a certain sometimes sense of uh, being in conflict with or feeling alienated from life, from nature, from the world. It can seem scary or threatening to us. But it also offers us an immense amount. We are creatures of the natural world. Even in the creation of our societies, our technologies, our industries. That doesn't take us away from all of that. Although we might lose the sense of direct connection, of felt knowing of this connectedness. In the way we become drawn into our Our kind of familiar ways of being that are cultural as well as personal. That are to do with our society and our family equally as much as they're to do with anything that's particularly who we are or what we are. So they need to be respected but they also need to be seen for what they are. The forces and conditions that we experience are just that, conditions. Circumstances, they're not ultimately what we are. They don't define what is possible for us, although they clearly affect how we experience our lives and they affect what's possible in terms of the kinds of experiences that we have. But they don't limit or constrain how we can meet our experience and how we can understand our world. So... If we were to just contemplate the significance, the implication of this reflection, without needing to agree or disagree, with what I might be saying, and see if it resonates, if it does, let that resonate. And if it doesn't, let that happen. But one of the things we might at some time in our life have done is had the opportunity to look up into the night sky and the stars. And it can be quite a lovely thing. You may remember doing so. Imagine we've all done it at some time. And just the vastness, the openness, the emptiness, it seems, of what we are suspended in the midst of. It can have a certain kind of opening effect for our mind to see that this universe is vast beyond our conceiving, beyond what our mind can stretch to encompass. And if we're to contemplate that we're part of this universe, we're part of this world, this planet, this galaxy, this cosmos, we share with all these creatures, these beings, who just like ourselves wish for happiness and safety and well-being. And these mountains and rivers and forests and all the forms of life that we encounter, the expressions of this natural world that we can encounter. This is the field of our practice. The vastness of what we're in tends to lead us to want to cut it up into little pieces to organize it. Because it's actually not easy for us to contemplate something that's really quite as vast as this universe. It's not easy for us to do that with our minds. But sometimes as we quieten, as we settle, we can maybe start to feel or sense or resonate with that sense of something larger that maybe takes us a little out of the the rather contracted or limited sense of self that we so often Imagine and believe to be who and what we are. And I notice for myself when looking up into the night sky and that sense of the vastness that's there, there's something exhilarating and humbling at the same time. And the sense of, wow, it's so big. And you know, big doesn't quite seem like a big enough word, but it's just really big. And at the same time one has a sense of, oh gosh, I'm really quite small. And my time here is really quite brief. And there's a certain humility in that, and at the same time a sweetness in the fact that one gets to have even this little you know, flicker of existence in terms of universal time or geological time. It's just moments that we're here. And yet there's so much, so much richness that's possible for us. What I notice is that when I turn my mind to that sense of something vast or something larger, just the, the night sky. or the, it's, What my mind doesn't do is look at it and think how it should be different. I've never looked up into the sky and thought, hmm, really those constellations should be a little different, you know. That star should be over there. I'd like a red one or a brighter one. It's, it doesn't do that. It's like that's what we do when we break things down and we make things small. We kind of wrap our mind in its preferences and its prejudices and its hopes and fears around things. But when the world isn't divided, that's not what happens. We can experience something much greater. And there's, a, there's an importance in that for us, to know our connection to the world. A few people have mentioned seeing the, the rabbits on the On the lawn today. And just the way that touches. I I can remember myself having the experience of just once on retreat as you've been here today, seeing a small rabbit, just a little one, in one of the corners of the grounds. And just this this incredible sweetness arising in my heart of just somehow the warm, soft, twitchy fuzziness of this little creature doing what it's doing. You know, nibbling the grass or scratching its nose or whatever... It's doing, and, and the overwhelming urge of me to want to just reach out and grab it and cuddle it, knowing that, of course, that if I were to do anything like that, it would terrify the poor little thing and it would run before I got near it. But yet, just stopping and feeling that sense of we have this natural draw to connect, we have this natural wish to embrace or to be intimate with, with 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 life, with, and particularly when we encounter life in a form in which it doesn't scare us. But we see its vulnerability, its sensitivity. Why is that? Because, of course, we know that vulnerability. We know that sensitivity because we've experienced it in ourselves. And, of course, it's not always been met with respect. It's not always been taken care of in the way that we might wish that that had been for us. But we can learn to meet ourselves, to meet that, those places in ourselves with that kindness and respect, and that's something that we're doing here. We can feel at times the places of tenderness in our hearts that have come from the journey of our life. And yet to know that this is not something that makes us different than everyone else. In fact, it's something that unites us with all beings. We all experience times of fear. Times of sorrow and loss, equally as we experience times of uplift and joy, of sweetness and beauty. And this is the mixture of our lives. This is how it is. Starting to see that we are not so different than those around us, not so different than the people, the creatures. And the very the very land itself that equally has its own sensitivity that we can sometimes connect with that there's a way in which if we let ourselves feel what 's true in our own hearts, we come to know what 's true for all of life because our own hearts are a conduit there are a gateway there are a way in which we can come to know so much more than just what is here. It's one of the remarkable things about meditation, about this journey, is that in giving our attention to just the simple immediacy of what's here and now, not trying to figure out all the complicated questions of life or resolve all the difficulties of our own circumstances. Though we may need to give them attention, of course, in due time, in an appropriate place, but just here... Letting ourselves really take care of what's here. that in doing that, somehow we get to start to understand so much more than just the mechanics of sitting here and breathing, which is what ostensibly we've been invited to do, to pay attention to this experience. We see our minds and our hearts engaging, interacting, at times more open, at times more contracted. At times with a sense of courage to meet those places of tenderness or fear. And at times with a sense of sort of feeling unable to do so. And to be able to respect that, but to see it all equally, to include it all. So that, so that we come to know what's true for us. And in doing so, we come to know what's true for each other and what's true for this world. Sometimes we find it hard to be in a situation like this. And lots of people, uh, when suggested or confronted with, invited to something like this, would kind of think, no way, you know, as we mentioned last night. No way am I, or could I, or would I want to do this. You know, we're really good at finding ways in our world, our culture, of keeping distant from what's here. Because at some level, often it scares us. And yet if we can allow ourselves to meet it, we'll find over time that the fear begins to drop away. And so it takes some courage to stay with our experience, to come back again when we've departed and again. But we learn and we're able to do this. We have that capacity. (coughs) With creatures... It's interesting to contemplate their lives. I find. I had some uh, some experiences I'd like to share from my own times on retreat. <coughs> I remember once doing walking meditation. I was outside. It was a windy day, and the retreat felt really hard. It was struggled. Oh, I don't want to do this walking. It's like, uh, oh, you know, what's all this about? Knees still hurt from the last sitting, worrying about how much they're going to hurt at the next sitting, trying to walk mindfully. Windy day, I don't like the wind. And then I noticed this twig being blown in the wind. I thought at first because it was moving. And I looked down and suddenly I was really interested because I realized the twig was moving against the wind. I thought, huh, how can it do that? So I stopped and I looked and there was an ant. It was about that big, pulling a twig about that big, into the wind. And there was this moment of just, oh my gosh, would you look at what that creature is doing. huh? And the sense of, for me, to drag something that big would be like carrying a whole tree trunk. you know. Immediately I got the sense of, this little fella's working really hard. And... For all the struggles of my own retreat, nobody's asking me to carry something 50 times my own or 100 times my own body weight, which would be really hard. Actually, impossible. I couldn't do it. I <laughs> wouldn't be going anywhere. You know? And it's just kind of interesting how seeing the situation afresh, of, rather than just, you know, oh, it's an ant, it's more like actually feeling what there might be for that ant to be called or compelled or having chosen, I don't know how it works for an ant, to drag this little twig to me big piece of wood for him or her or it as it was doing and just something in the heart just ah I can deal with the sore knees and I can deal with this walking back and forth wondering what the heck I'm doing here because actually it's not that bad it's kind of interesting how that sense of empathy of connection of resonance with another creature just opens up one's heart in those ways or I remember Another time, this was at the old guy house about three, four, well, three miles away across the valley. We, we had a small vicarage before we moved to this place. And um, on a retreat, and there was a robin who used to be, coming, would come and sometimes take food from your, from your fingers, just like a crumb of bread. And lots of the people on a retreat would feed it and really enjoy this very cheeky, inquisitive and delightful creature. And I was trying to get it to come and take it from my, from my fingers. This crumb of bread, and I was just doing it, and it was sort of like that, you know. It's kind of nice all day. I feel good if it takes it out of my hand, you know, that kind of kind of nice experience. But then, after I was mostly, will it take it? Will it not? Is it going to come? Then I looked at and started to really tune into the, to the robin, and I saw its eyes and its body language, and I just suddenly realised, oh my gosh, it really wants that little crumb of bread. This is like good food, you know. It really wants it. And it's absolutely terrified of getting any closer to this great big mammal that it doesn't know if it can trust. And it was really interesting, again, just to feel in a small creature the sense of the wanting, and you know, we want things, don't we? We know what that's like to really want something, to feel like, I need this, even though I'm not sure I can have it. And at the same time, maybe to be really scared about what will happen if I try and get it. And that core and that fear and that wanting place. And when I felt, when I saw that, and maybe I was projecting and it was a complete fantasy, just my idea, nothing to do with the Robin's experience. I don't know. But that's what it felt like. And it kind of makes sense, you know, because you could see it was coming forward. It was like on two elastic bands. It was like pulled towards, and at the same time, it was being pulled backwards. And it was forwards, backwards. But when I realized, or seemed to think I understood that's what was happening, I just put the crumb down. It's like, I don't need to torture that little creature to have the little pleasure of it taking it out of my hand. I can enjoy it picking it up from the table. Hmm? That sense of, huh, yeah, what happens for us when we tune in to the experience of other, not just ourselves, is that we find something shared between ourself and other. The poem by... <coughs> I'm just going to, before I go into that poem, check that I brought it with me, because I suddenly think I didn't. So there is a poem by Naomi Shihab Nye about kindness which I was going to read you. No, it's fine. I'm sure I can think of something else to say at this juncture. Because I can remember a few of the lines from it. And there's a line in it which particularly struck me and when I was reflecting what I wanted to speak about, where She's speaking about, in order to know what kindness is, you have to know really what it's like to be alive. You have to know what it feels like to lose things, to feel something slip through your fingers. You have to know what it's like to feel the places of, of desolation in your heart. That these are things that we need to know. And there's a line which says, And... When you pass someone, and there's the image of, a, of someone dead on the side of the road, to know that this person could have been you. And that this person was travelling just as you are travelling, with their hopes and their dreams. And the breath that keeps them alive. And uh, maybe I'll read the poem to you at another point in the retreat. But there's a sense of just what happens when we reflect upon that what happens for another may be what happens for us. And she goes on to say that when we do that, when we allow ourselves to feel that, to know that, that kindness becomes something natural for us. That there's a wisdom in that seeing our shared truth. And the reason I wanted to to mention this poem, or bring this poem, one reason was that when I came over to Gaia House this morning... A squirrel had been killed on the road just outside the gates. And not long ago, because it wasn't cold or stiff. And it was there just on the road. And I pulled up and just took a moment to to see that it was there. And I felt like I just want to take it and put it somewhere. And it's interesting because actually I don't want to pick it up. It's dirty. It's a bit bloody. It's not alive anymore. It's not like I can do anything for it, really. And yet something in me says, and this has happened before. No, actually, there's something to take care of here. So just picking it up and making it a little place to rest at the base of a tree. Just a little creature that's gone. It's gone. its it's life is over. And that sense of, you know, how would I wish if I were to die somewhere alone? It would be nice if someone would come along and just you know, wrap me up or just hold me kindly for a few moments. I'd wish for that, you know. And something to just respect those little men, just think, okay, so I have to wash my hands. That's okay, I can do that. Wash them in a puddle first, soap later when I got into the house. Just that sense of, do we let ourselves respond with that kind of caring to ourselves in those places where we feel hurt? or that kind of caring to each other when we encounter that. For me, it doesn't come out of a doing it because I should or because it's right. It doesn't make sense to try and do it from that place. It doesn't really work. But it's what seems to happen and it's something we can see around us. I mean, that's a small, you know, in a way, event for me. But it's something we can see around us. There are many ways in which we, as human beings, witness others' and ourselves, extending kindness, extending caring. And that comes out of a place in us that is deep. That comes out of a dimension of our being that is important. When we talk about wisdom, we can often talk about wisdom in terms of seeing through appearances. Seeing through the Appearance of separateness, of difference, of disconnection. And acting and living our life from an understanding born of that deeper resonance, that deeper vibration that we can feel, that we can know, that we can't explain, that we can't tell someone about if they don't know what we're talking about. But even if our words are clumsy, if they do know what we're talking about, they recognize them. When we speak about what it's like to be touched by another. Or by even a, the light shining through a drop of dew. Or just the, the mist rising on a damp afternoon. There's something about being in the natural world that's important for us. And knowing our place in it, that we are part of it. Sometimes what our lives ask us to hold seems more than we can easily manage. It can be difficult. Sometimes things we experience, that we see, that we feel, feel more than we can easily hold. And one of the things that's been really important for me in my journey, and for others too, I know, is that sense of allowing something larger to hold that which we find difficult to hold ourselves one of the great teachers of the uh, this tradition in the 20th century ajahn buddhadasa who was a uh, lived in thailand was a great innovator and reformer of the tradition and uh, a teacher of one of my teachers so although i didn't know him i feel very much a sense of lineage and connection with him He was once asked, how do you work with or how do you respond to people who are coming to you with a lot of emotional pain and difficulty? And he said, I surround them with friendliness and kindness. And then I send them out into the forest. And he lived in the jungle. He said, I send them out into the forest. And I leave them there until they realize that they're part of it. There's something about understanding and getting more deeply our co-participation in life, our non-separateness from it, that allows that which feels hard to hold. And this is one of the things we encounter in life, that uh, one of the wisdoms of life is to acknowledge that there are those things which are hard to hold or hard to bear, which we talk about in terms of of suffering or Dukkha is the word the Buddha used, that which is hard to bear. Sometimes what it needs is that sense of something greater. That's what we can rest in, though we can't always explain or understand why it is or how it is. It doesn't always make sense or seem fair. And yet we can know that this is so. And allow it to rest and we come to sense something about life in this way. It happened for a student of mine on a retreat. I was teaching in the foothills of the Pyrenees in France and uh, we were camping on a hill amongst these sort of stunted oak trees, these sort of short oak trees that only grow to be about 10 feet tall um, because it's quite high. It's not that high altitude wise but it's uh, the foothills of the Pyrenees and And this this woman was experiencing a lot of distress and grief about the death of her good friend who died in a tragic accident completely unexpectedly not that long ago before the retreat. And she came and spoke to me about it over the days and it was really really painful and difficult and she was really sad and upset and grief-stricken. And then one day towards the end of the retreat she came and she told me that as she'd been walking under the trees... She'd suddenly just noticed how the trees, all their leaves, had fallen. And each leaf, probably the trees. she thought maybe the trees had felt the loss of each of those leaves that were lying now dry and curled up underneath the tree. And she just sort of felt a sense of, oh, those trees, they've lost all their leaves. Kind of somehow something that resonated for her. And then she said, she went on to, wonder, I wonder how they feel about the fact that Kai... So her friend's name, has died. And she said she knew, and she reported to me, it was really clear, she said, I knew straight away that they were sorry. They were sad he had died too. And it was very interesting because there's something very true in that. It might sound like, you know, she'd been uh, on retreat a little bit too long, you know, the trees don't even know her friend has died. <laughs> you know, um, we could approach it from that way, you know. Show me the evidence, you know. we kind of try and show me the evidence. Um, And yet, there's something entirely and absolutely true in what she said and what she understood. And what was interesting is the truth of it actually allowed something in her heart to rest. She said, oh, she wasn't carrying that grief by herself anymore. That wasn't her words, but that's what the effect that she recognised was. And it was interesting that in her starting to care... For the trees and their loss, she felt their caring for her loss. And again, it's that something about when we open the field. When we open the field, we see, yes, there is suffering in life. To acknowledge that this is so. This is one of the things we need to acknowledge. There's a wisdom in acknowledging it and seeing it so. Not imagining that it's so because we've got it wrong, or we made a mistake, or we messed up, or someone else messed up. Every human being experiences this, All creatures in fact. And although how it was for me is different than how it was for you, and how it is for me and you, likewise. The particular conditions and circumstances of how it came to me, and how it came to you, are particular, unique in fact. But the fact that, yeah, there's that which is hard to bear. This we share with each other, with all of life. And so it's not that we've done something wrong here. It's so important to understand that. We sometimes imagine that if I'd done it right and if they'd done it right, then it would have always felt good. It would have never felt painful or scary. Or overwhelming. But that's not so. Somehow the very nature of our life is such that we encounter these things. And we all do. And it's so important that we, in acknowledging this truth, take the pressure of judgment, blame and harshness out of the equation. We've talked about this earlier. And we'll probably talk about it again. It's such a central element. And it's that sense of forgiveness to oneself, forgiveness to life, for the fact that part of the mixture includes this that's hard to bear. If we can open to that, if we can make space for that, we also make space for that which is beautiful, that which is delightful, that which we love and care for. And you know, they always seem to be connected. Where we feel pain in the most deep and painful things is also where we've perhaps felt joy or love. Those things that we've lost that we grieve for, we grieve for it because we were nourished by it, or touched by it. We loved it. And so this is inherent, it's intrinsic in the nature of life, is that we love and that we lose. And when we love, it's lovely. That which we love, whether a person, a place, an experience for ourselves, it's there. That's lovely. And when we lose it, it's painful. But if we didn't love anything, that would be painful too. And if we love things, we lose them. Because nothing lasts forever. People don't. Places don't. Circumstances, experiences. Things change. This is the wisdom that we can contemplate. Things change. And so we can't get to keep them. And yet we can really learn to care for the way our heart responds, both in the loving and in the loss. In the enjoying of that which we care for, to be allow ourselves to, to be sweet with, to be intimate with what we care for when it comes. It might be just a moment with the, the bunny on the lawn. Or even just a remembered sense of someone we care for that just comes to our mind, or some you know, beloved pet animal that we just remember, just have a sense of warmth and friendliness in our hearts. We can just allow that to be enjoyed. We don't have to hold on to it, but we can allow it to be enjoyed, just as we're invited to, when those moments come to us of something sad or painful, to allow that to be felt too. So we're honouring the truth of what it means to be a human being which includes this capacity for loving that we feel is so sweet in the presence of what we love and so poignantly painful and tender in the absence of what we love. But we see they come together. And without that, we wouldn't be what we are. And if we knew what that was, we wouldn't give it up for anything, that sensitivity. Because it equally as it touches us in the way I'm describing now, it also is the way in which, or the how to say this, the organ that can reveal to us the depth of our connectedness, our interconnectedness, our non-separateness. It's something we can know with our hearts and our bodies and our cells, but we can't necessarily know in the way of intellectual knowledge that we're used to referring to that demands evidence to be proved. I'm not saying you have to believe in anything I'm suggesting here. I'm just telling you about how I understand this works. And so there's something about the the sense of connection with others that allows things to rest for us, that allows us to come more fully into contact with the immediacy of the present moment to feel our life held as it is just right here. And that's one of the things about the natural world that we are part of and yet which we don't always remember that we're a part of. The world that doesn't think and conceive in terms of time the way we do. That creatures are much more immediate in the moment. If something is threatening, they run. When the threat is gone... They eat grass or whatever, and they just do that. Whereas we tend to carry with us the, oh, there was something scary, and maybe it's going to come back, so I can't quite eat the grass. Right? Well, maybe not the grass. You know that way we carry things with us. There's a beautiful poem by Wendell Berry called the the Peace of Wild Things. He says. when despair for the world comes upon me, and I awake in night, awake at night at the slightest sound, in fear of what my life and what my children's lives will be. I go down to where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and where the great heron feeds. I come in to the presence of still water, and feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. I come into the peace of wild things. Who do not trouble their minds with forethought of grief. For a while I rest in the grace of the world. And am free. To come into the grace of wild things, the peace of wild things, who do not trouble their minds with forethought of (coughs) grief, that anticipation of loss that hasn't yet come. To actually rest in the grace of the world, to know a freedom that is immediate, that is in this moment, we can again draw, and I think at times need to draw on the support of the the natural world, the peace of wild things, the presence of Heron and Woodrake and creatures of the world around us. as we quieten as we open as the qualities of calm of kindness and of clarity start to deepen in our hearts and our being we start to see more clearly what is true we start to see beyond the appearance of things and a seeing that isn't so much about a visual image but about a A seeing with that deeper capacity the wisdom of our hearts that knows already, in fact, in some quiet way within us, that knows of this, which spiritual teachings point to and teachers speak about and have spoken about through countless generations of human existence. And that people such as ourselves have come to understand and know more and more deeply in all generations of humanity. I'd like to read something from Black Elk, who is a holy man of the Ogala Sioux uh, of the Native American peoples. Having said, I'd like to read it. I do have it with me. A, and I also have some equipment with me to enable me to be able to read it. And he was speaking of this, this, his own experience, I think, of this territory in his own way and language. And he said in his book, Black Elk Speaks, which is a wonderful body of wisdom and Teaching, he said, at one point he describes this experience, he says, And then I was standing on the highest mountain of them all, and round about beneath me was the whole hoop of the world. And while I stood there, I saw more than I can tell, and I understood more than I saw. For I was seeing in a sacred manner the shapes of all things in the Spirit, and the shapes of all shapes as they must live together like one being. And I saw that the sacred hoop of my people was one of many hoops that made one circle, wide as daylight and starlight. And in the center grew one mighty flowering tree to shelter all the children of one mother and one father. And I saw that it was holy. There's a seeing that we can deepen our partaking of that's not foreign to us, that we recognize as we come closer to it. Although, when we see with the heart and depth of wisdom, it's always fresh, equally as it's familiar but we come to see something that we can speak of in all sorts of ways, none of which quite manage to say it. Although we can still appreciate the words that another might offer to it. There's something in the language when we speak of wholeness, understanding the wholeness of life, that we are not separate from each other from this life, that the blood that flows in our bodies is not so different than the water that runs in the streams and the rivers and the breath that moves in our bodies is not so different than the winds that blow in the land and likewise the tears that our cheeks are sometimes moistened by not so different than the rain that cleanses the air (coughs) seeing that there's a wholeness we also start to understand a profound healing that can come. Wholeness and healing. Sharing the root that is also the root of holiness. Holy. Whole, healing, holy. They all come from the same truth. And the healing and the wholeness that we seek is is revealed in the that which we could call the sacred, that Black Elk spoke of, the sacred, that we are all participants in, all us together as beings and equally all of life. And it's this that we come to to practice, whether we know it or not, We come to practice to understand this more fully and deeply. To allow our lives to rest in this that is sacred. And that is connected to all things. So let's just sit quietly together for a few moments. Just allow whatever resonates to resonate. And what doesn't, to just do what it does. And so may we all here together in our practice and in our lives come to deeply understand that we are a part of it all. That we are not separate from this world or each other. And that we may live in harmony, in peace and in freedom together.